When COVID first started, I was at a party on John's Island with some friends of mine from the church and a couple others uh, who don't go to church. I won't say they're unbelievers. I don't know where they stand with their faith, but it was a dinner party of 10 people, I think, five couples, three that I knew, three couples that are active in church, and then the other I didn't know. It didn't seem like they were active. Anyway, during the, during the dinner, COVID became the topic of conversation, and the hostess stood up and she said, I'll never get COVID. You know why? And we all kind of went, you've got the vaccine, you figured it out. Why? And she ran over and she grabbed the Bible and she turned around and she said, because God's going to protect me. Now, she's not wrong. She's not wrong. But I thought for a second, what are those folks who don't have faith, what are they thinking? Are they thinking, you're a lunatic. I mean, your profession of faith in God is not going to keep a disease from getting to you. If that was the case, God then wouldn't let anything bad happen to anybody that had ever professed him as Lord and Savior, right? So I just wondered for a minute how she had misused her faith there. Again, she wasn't 100% wrong, but that's where I'm going with this Psalm 91, with those words that we read in unison about all of the promises that God makes to those who believe in him. But think of it this way just for a second. Jesus, the son, would have had this psalm memorized. And in chapter 4 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit takes Jesus out into the wilderness where he's going to fast for 40 days, not eat. And he's going to battle the devil. Think about that. Jesus not only knows the words of this psalm, but he is, Scripture tells us, the living word. He is the Son of God, and yet off to the wilderness he goes, led by the Spirit, to battle Satan. Matthew's Gospel also tells us that in an effort to get Jesus the Son to put God the Father to the test, the devil quotes verse 11 and verse 12 of this psalm to Jesus. Look at that. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus responds to his quoting of Psalm 91 with another piece of scripture in an earlier book. In Deuteronomy, Jesus says, Yes, but it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus endures 40 days of this. 40 days of this not eating and probably not drinking. It's not humanly possible, but anyway. 40 more days, Scripture tells us. And then, three more years of ministry. Right. Three more years of ministry, only to come to the place of Golgotha, the inescapable cross. Jesus, who knew the words of Psalm 91, who was certain that they were true, he of all humanity... If anyone should be able to rely on the truth of those words to be saved, it should be him. Amen? And yet, there he is at the cross. I'm sure Jesus had those words planted in his mind and in his memory. He is those words. And he is those promises. Listen again to the promises of the one who calls on God for refuge and protection. Verse 14, 15, and 16. Listen to the promises here. He, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. 
When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And yet, there Jesus is, 33 years old, we believe, with all the knowledge and all the promises of Psalm 91, firmly nailed to the cross. He's on the cross. He's not delivered, as verse 14 says. He is unprotected, not protected, as verse 14 promises. He calls out in agony, and he gets no answer, as verse 15 promises. No rescue, no honor, all promises of verse 15. And worst of all, he dies. No long life, cut short at 33. No salvation, it seems, verse 16. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Why would Jesus quote this to Satan only to have it seemingly backfire for him or proven wrong by the cross? Well, the simple answer, as we know on this side, is that the cross is Christ's vindication. It's the great reversal. At that moment, people looked at the cross and thought, our Messiah has been defeated. He's dead. And yet we know it was only momentary. We know that the cross is the true moment in history where Jesus reveals to the world who he really is. The cross is the pivot point of all history. It's the point in history, I told somebody at Inklings this morning, that opens up all believers to the idea of what I like to call the long view of life. The long view of life. Not the momentary daily drudgery of life, but the cross opens up the long view of life. The cross is where the promises of this life and this world die. And the promises of Jesus, of new life in him, come to life. Because the resurrection, hear this, the resurrection is the only thing that makes Psalm 91 and all of Scripture believable. If we believe Scripture, if we believe the words of Psalm 91, that we are hidden under his wings, that we are protected, that he will gather us up, it has to only be made sense of in light of the resurrection. Because in light of the resurrection, the psalm not only makes sense in the future, in the long view, but it also mysteriously makes sense in our lives today. One of the guys in Inklings this morning said he's been visiting the West Coast a lot, and he was lamenting that he wasn't out there actually evangelizing. He wasn't out there telling people about Jesus. And so we listened to his story, and we listened to what he said, and then we got to a place where we said, no, no, um, just the way you're talking, just the way you're acting, just the way you appear to people has got to be making a difference. And he said, you know, my drummer, he's in a band, looked at me and said, wow, you're really calmer than you used to be. When you lived out here, you seemed so anxious and you were so worried about all the deal. And maybe it's because you moved. I don't know what it is, but there's a calm presence you seem to have now. That's a person who's taken up the long view of life. It makes it possible to bear our troubles on this side of eternity when we know we have something to live through and live with hope. Because we no longer understand death and suffering to be the end. Death now, in light of the resurrection, is just another door opening to our eternity with God. 
I'll close with Charles Spurgeon. I'll give him the last word. He's who we're studying or, or reading about in this Inklings group. Um, he spoke strongly this morning to all of us through an old sermon about our salvation and the way we should live this side of eternity secure in the notion of our salvation so that Psalm 91 is true. It's the same way Jesus' death makes it true. This is my paraphrase of Spurgeon with all deference. Christians, 12 o'clock Wednesday people, if we believe that our sins are forgiven and that Christ has and that Christ has made full atonement for them, then what should we do? If we believe that our sins are forgiven, Jesus has done all the work on the cross, then what should we do? Spurgeon says these three things. Be joyful, be grateful, and tell others. We can tell others about Psalm 91 and its truth, joyfully and gratefully. Simply this, since I am a forgiven sinner, What does it matter what happens to me now? The words of Psalm 91 are made true by Christ's death on the cross for me and for us. And now, this side of the cross, we can confidently declare those words to others to be true. Thanks be to God.